Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce, good to see you again. Hey, David, long time no see. This time on the flat screen. Mm-hmm. Um, we were at the game together tonight. Yeah. First time since Pat Quinn was head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> We were in the Edmonton Journal box at your invitation one time in 2009, late December of 2009, Devin Dubnik's first career game, and Ken Hitchcock and his bully boy Blues clobbered Edmonton 7-2 to the way they always clobbered Edmonton in those oh. days. And uh, that was, uh, and s- since then, this is the first time we, we uh, had the opportunity to go to a game together. It was a fun game to watch. Indeed. And we have um, Steve Dillon mm-hmm. uh, at, uh, well, he's, he's good fella on Twitter to thank. Thanks, Steve, for the tickets. I was a He's a good fellow, fellow all right? Talk fellow about living up fan. to your name there, good fella. Yeah. Thank you <laughs> yeah. very much. Thanks a lot. <laughs> fun game. That was a fun game. Mm. All righty. Bruce, it was another 5-2 Oilers win. Um, the sample size is getting longer of them being a, a dominant team. Um, they really are. They really are a good team. They they only they had twelve grade A chances to eleven for uh, the Predators tonight. But I, I believe the Oilers' chances were significantly better, and including the number that they didn't score on, you know, mainly by Zach Hyman. <laughs> but uh, but um. They're they're a bit of a machine right now when it comes to manufacturing goals, Bruce. And um, we saw it again tonight. So this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. Both two good things each. What's your first good thing? Well, it's pretty hard to overlook uh, Big Leon Dreisaitl, uh, who uh, uh, tonight played center, he played wing, he played power play, he played two-man short penalty kill, he played uh, goalie out, and he succeeded in all of those situations to the tune of two goals, one assist, no goals against on his watch, and a uh, just another stellar night's work that uh, has now put him into the NHL scoring lead with 20 points. First guy to reach that mark. One point ahead of line mate Connor McDavid. Uh, tonight's line mate, Connor McDavid. And uh, he also bumped up into the tie for the league lead with plus 11 because he's outscoring like crazy, even in the ones the NHL counts. And, and if you count all situations... Power plays and penalty kills and two men short and either team's goalie out all situations uh, through nine games, 27 periods. Uh, Drysdale has been on the ice for 26 goals by the Edmonton, four against, 26 to four. Uh, and granted, he gets uh, he gets favorable ice time for sure, but he does have uh, defensive responsibilities and he's. Uh, uh, Getting the job done, at least at least on the goals front. You look at his fancy stats tonight, and you think he was the worst player on the ice, but uh, why I sure wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't in any way the worst player on the ice. <laughs> no, I mean, kidding. I mean, anyway, you can put whatever weight you want on those numbers. Um, 
I, uh, Bruce, he was just, he, he was fantastic tonight. And he was so dangerous on the ice. Like he, he had a number of really great scoring chances. One at the side of the net that he almost put in. I mean, the goal that he scored, you know, was, it wasn't the classic executioner shot because it was kind of fluttering to the net a little bit wobbly, but it went in right off the post. Oh, oh. Um, the goal he scored off the McDavid feed. Amazing. What an amazing play. You know, he just kept moving into the slot and then just picks it. He picks that spot and drains it. Like it's like, he's like a, uh, a pool shark moving in there and, you know, doing the called shot, uh, impossible called shot, you know, with off three bank, three bank shots and three walls and in like, he's amazing. What an amazing heart. Oh. He's the MVP Bruce of, of the early. I would pick him over McDavid as the MVP. He's better at this point in time. His defensive play has been absolutely stellar. Leon dry settles. And you know, Bruce, you've sometimes chided me a little bit for being hard on dry settles, defensive play. Mm. Maybe I am, but I'm not right now. He is oh. crushing it in the defensive zone. He's crushing it in the offensive zone. He's crushing it in the face-off circle. He is the best player right now in hockey. And uh, you know, with McDavid a close second, obviously. They're, you know, it's, well, they're the one, so close. Punch. Man. But, um, wow. There, were, there was a play tonight in the first period, uh, and the Oilers were attacking our end in the first and third period. So this was going away from us. And, uh, Nashville, I think this was on the first Edmonton power play, and Nashville broke away 2-1-1, and Leon put the Jets on, overtook the guy, and lifted his stick just as he was going to shoot the puck yeah. that had that had it. Like, it was a 150-foot dash on the back check that time. Uh, I mean, the uh, the goals we talked about, uh, a uh, crucial play... Uh, in the third period when Nashville got a two-man advantage, and if they'd scored on that, then they're still on the power play, and they're suddenly down by two with, like, six minutes left. And they put Leon out there for that, of course. And not only do uh, do the orders survive, but Drysaddle himself wins a puck battle and comes charging down ice with it and and basically tries to, <laughs> tries to go through the whole team himself for, and then continues to play right to the end boards to battle the puck uh there was one play where he took a bit of a dirty check from a nashville defenseman i, I looked it up you know, roman yossi and about 10 or 15 seconds later he absolutely ran over dante fabro <laughs> was the only hit that he was credited with of the game but the timing of it was no coincidence it's like you're gonna run me okay i can play that game let's see the next guy run me and it didn't happen again <laughs> did you mention his great uh, on the power play in the first set, McDavid wins a battle he, and he moves it cross ice to Drysaddle, who moves it immediately, ping pongs it over to Hyman, who almost mm-hmm. scores. Right, like that. What a great pass that was! Yeah. Wow. He, he did you? If someone compared him to Phil, I think it was you comparing him to Phil Esposito. Mm-hmm. That's right. You made him <clears> and then David being Bobby Bobby Orr at center. It's he is he is a very similar player to Phil Esposito, who was you know until Wayne Gretzky came along the greatest score goal scorer in NHL history. Single season, at least. And Some guy, oh, sorry, carry on. Go ahead. Some guy in the post-game radio show was saying that uh, Drysaddle shoots like like Ovechkin, protects the puck like Forsberg, and passes like Lemieux. <laughs> well, that's a bit of that's a bit that's a bit of a stretch, but uh, there's I I can see what he sees, especially the Forsberg. Yeah, 
Well, uh, in terms of the puck protection, I mean, that guy was a beast on the puck. It was almost impossible to knock off of it. And, well, just <laughs> Leon is uh, among the very best puck protectors in the league today. And uh, even a good luck going through him to get the puck. So the coach shifted up the line lines mm-hmm. after the uh, first period. He put McDavid and Drysaddle together. And, and it and I don't love that. I just I just feel like um, they're better on their own lines, especially Drysaddle defensively really comes alive when he's a center on his own line. So I like to get the most out of players. And uh, nonetheless, they they scored a goal together, and yep. uh, the, the Nugent Hopkins line also scored a goal yep. after Tip made that move, and the Devin Shore scored a goal, a really big after goal, um, yep. leading the third line with Cassian and Fogel on his wing. So he, you have to give Tip a credit there. His his uh, moves work. That's not my good thing. My good thing is Koskinen, Bruce. He he is uh, he's just played very solid hockey. It's great to see. Mm-hmm. P- people, you know, all the kind of oily insiders are saying like it's it sounded like there was an imperative to move him and trade him this summer. I can't actually remember what we were saying. Like we're you know we probably I was probably saying they need to get a goalie too. So I just can't blame blame all the other guys. But the, the, there seemed to be like this feeling like he just had worn out his welcome with the team almost from what I was hearing. And, but I hear other reports that the, the team really likes this guy and, mm-hmm. and uh, he's a he's a really a, a good guy. Anyway, all that aside, like the guy. Fair, sure. Played very well tonight. He has a 930 save, 934 save percentage overall, six wins, wow. one loss. Um, he's seventh in the NHL for regular goalies who have played more than five games in save percentage right now. That he's just been <laughs> he's been really good. He's been really good. And I do know what I was saying going into the season was between Smith and Koskinen, you know, with Smith playing well last year and Koskinen playing well the year before, chances are the Oilers are going to have one really good goalie. So far, we've had two. And until Smith got hurt, he was really good. So now things are kind of looking a little bit more promising on the goalie front, Bruce. I mean, there's been all this talk, Oilers got to get a goalie, and I've bought into it. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, it's been in my head as well. It's been in my mind. Um. But who knows? Maybe they're not going to need one. Well, they don't need one for Friday's game, do they? I mean, they got they got goalies right now that can uh, play games. And if there's going to be some um, emergency down the road, it's not apparent as of yet. And that's I'm saying that even with Mike Smith battling through an injury at the moment. Uh, I'm a little surprised we haven't seen Stuart Skinner play at all, but... Uh, Koskinen's been answering the challenges. Koskinen had two big moments in the game. Like there, there was a number of good saves. He was solid throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't get beat on any bad goals. Uh, but early in the game, right off the tops, uh, Cody CC made a bad pinch and there was a two-on-one chance. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a goal that last year Koskinen may well have let in early in the year. You know, that early goal has plagued him a little bit as well. He saved it. He made the save. Can't remember who was shooting it on that one. And then um, early in the third period, right uh, Darnell Nurse was a little soft in coverage, and there was a kind of a hard, really hard, low angle outside shot on net, which rebounded over to the other side. And mm-hmm. Pugliarvi lost his man coming in from the point. Uh, and again, I can't identify the Nashville shooter on that one, but it was a just a five alarm chance for sure. And Koskinen got over and made the save. So two, just two in big moments in the game. Because at that, that was point, a big moment. 
at that point it was two to one, uh, two to one. Yeah. It's still two to one at that point. And, um, Nashville scores, who knows what happens and he makes the save. So great game for Miko Koskinen. Yeah, he's been good. Like, I mean, there's, I can't think of one game where it's like, well, you just need an average performance and, and I got one. Like, I mean, he had the stinker against Philadelphia for sure. And goaltending was the difference in that game and not in a good way. But in all the other games, he's been he's been excellent. And, you know, even when he gave in three goals in the, in the Vegas game that they won 5-3, you know, there was a, there was a lot that went on in that game that uh, could have turned it the other way and didn't. Kurt gave Leon Dreisaitl, despite his bad on-ice numbers, his bad core ski and fence ski and all the other skis, mm-hmm. Kurt gave him a nine, and he mm-hmm. gave Koskinen an eight. So he's concurring That's with us. Sucks. Same Bruce, grades I gave those two on Monday, and I put them both in the headline. Dreisaitl, Koskinen, lead orders to victory, you know. <laughs> Again. Score, right? So, What's yeah. your second good thing? Yeah, I'm going to go with Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and this is in part... Uh, due to the opportunity to see him play live and just get an impression of how smooth he is and how how versatile he is, how many different things he does for the team. And again, also in different situations. Like, talk about a, a jack of all trades. Uh, very good on the penalty kill. Uh, outstanding, really, on the power play. He got another primary assist on the power play where puck came to him in the slot and almost without looking he slid it over to dry settle on the bottom of the right circle bam i mean new just had at least three primary assists already this year by beating it from that spot to that spot and <clears throat> leon draining the opportunity and uh <clears throat> but uh, and he got yeah he got an assist on yamamoto's goal just by I thought making a good decision and just sifting the puck into traffic in front of the net from the, from the point. He was way out in the middle of the blue line. And uh, there wasn't a lot of really good options, so he just put it on net and the puck, I'm not sure what it hit, but uh, Yamamoto, I think it hit maybe Hyman, Hyman's stick. I yeah, it was. hit Hyman's body and bounced over his body. the wide yeah, open net. Bounced, yeah, well, he, he put it upstairs. And, uh so two more assists now up to 13 on the season through nine games. I mean, that's pretty sensational. But uh, that aside, I just liked his his 200-foot game. It's tied uh, for fifth in NHL scoring, Bruce. With no goals. With no goals. <laughs> yeah, well. And he has. Uh, setting him up. And he's earned most of those assists. You know, you got the odd cheap one here and there, a second assist or whatever, where you don't, don't do much. But uh, he's been getting primaries and his work on the power play. I mean, that power play is just firing on all cylinders. 13 for 28 now on the season. They've scored in every game. And uh, Nuge has been in the middle of it. And the PK is firing on all cylinders, too. I mean, and Nuge is, he, like, on the, did you, I don't, did you mention that one where he blocked the shot there? on the PK mm-hmm. and went down the ice and set up Hyman for a one-timer. Like, again, just a brilliant chance. So, yeah, Nuge, he, he really, uh, it's 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 great to see him uh, sign. And I mentioned, like, glad he's having this season, this season, not last season, because if right. he had had this breakout scoring season, um, and, I, and I'm predicting 60 assists for Nuge this year, if he had that last year, he would have cost another million or two a year. 
and the orders might have lost them. So it would have been seven, seven and change instead of five and relatively small change. Like he's he's basically a five million dollar contract. And man, is he ever covering that bet to this point? That's looking like he a, sure he sure is. a real good deal, isn't it? Yeah, and it's so great because he's been in order. Was this his eleventh year? This is amazing. Yeah. He's one of he's he. And I think he's my wife's favorite player too. So there you go. <laughs> um, I'm just going to quickly cover my my next best thing is just three players who I kind of we were at the game and it's very different being at the game trying to rate players. Never. You know, I I honestly when I got home I quickly went over the, I I was keeping track of scoring chances like the times and when I went home I went over the replay just to get ready for this because I I feel lost without that process. But you do have this sense of the players at the game that you kind of don't mm-hmm. have from um, watching. Yeah, you learn you learn stuff at the game that you don't get from TV you do. too. It, yeah, I, I personally view the game very differently in a three-dimensional setting. Yeah. Um, three players stood out in the seen him good category, category for me. Kyler Yamamoto, mm-hmm. uh, his uh, PK play and his defensive play. I think he's one of the most underrated defensive players, wingers in the NHL. I think he's an outstanding defensive winger. He, he, You know, and all the talk about moving him off the line, it was rarely mentioned by people. Just what a great defensive hockey player he is because he's so smart diligent works hard at it and he was great on the pk and um you know won a lot of battles cleared some pucks i just i i think that's not mentioned enough about him evan bouchard i was just impressed the hell out of me he he was also strong defensively um winning board battles he's just he's just such a calm and skilled player sturdy on his skates he is way right now bruce i'll just say this i'll put the right now caveat in there right now he is way better on defense than i had ever hoped you know i never thought we would see such solid composed defending from him at this point i thought it was going to be more like justin schultz Mm -hmm. but maybe with a little bit more on the attack than schultz brought especially you know shooting the puck it hasn't been like that at all he's he has been strong defensively um and he was again tonight well here's one thing about evan bouchard at the beginning of the season they were in the training camp they were uh, doing the penalty killing with him and i thought well that's smart because with tyson berry on the team he's going to be number five and if there's another penalty defenseman in the box and he's going to have to kill you know we might as well get him practicing in preseason he's been like tonight he played 433 on the penalty kill 433 there wasn't another order that even got to three and a half minutes, and he was over four and a half minutes. And and he was on the bench when, when Nashville finally did get their one power play goal late. So they're heavily relying on him on the on the penalty kill unit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, penalty killing. I mean, that's a, that's a that's defensive a role as you're going to get. Because he wins pucks and he does great things with them. You know, he gets them down the ice because he's so skilled yeah. with the puck. He made an absolutely gorgeous pass to Cal Turris. Mm-hmm. Uh, for tourists and tourists went in. I think he put the shot between the the legs of the uh, Preds D man for a, a really good shot. He won Bouchard. Uh, he won a battle in his own zone uh, that that um, that uh, led to Drysaddle's goal. Um, he 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 made the defensive stop that kicked off that sequence. And he also what's the third one that I that I saw? Yeah, he made a really good pinch on another uh, another grade A chance. Um, where where McDee uh, put it off Hyman's skate and it and it almost went in the net. So he's just uh, he's everything I had hoped he would be, and he's more. He's much more because of this defensive stuff that 
didn't think was going to happen. Third guy I really liked is Duncan Keith. Mm-hmm. I just, um, he just, he really plays a, such a smart game out there. He's not perfect on defense. He will, he will now and then get beat up defensively. They all do, of course. Mm-hmm. But in a top, he's playing a top four role. Yeah. And uh, he really is great with the puck. And he's part of the He's part of what's going right with this team because he is so smart with the puck, making little plays. Like he's not a great, like he's not putting up the points like crazy, but just consistently making good passes. And that's what I saw all night long from Duncan Keith. So I, he may not be worth the price, you know, his contract price, the price paid, but he is a, he is a good hockey player for the Edmonton Oilers this year. That's my take after watching him nine games now. I th- I'm glad he's an Edmonton Oiler, and I think he's going to help this team continue to win, and he's helping them win now. He's got good anticipation, eh? Yeah. Get the impression he's been there, seen that before. Yeah. Like he, he would show up on the boards uh, in time to, you know, get the puck or at least be battling for it and getting it out for the most part. Yeah. When we saw one example of him winding up and letting fly with a rocket of a slap shot in the goalie, what? What a save. It's fun watching that young goalie tonight, uh, Connor Ingram, playing his second NHL game. And it was pointed out to us that Connor Ingram's parents were sitting in one section over from us on the aisle. So I glanced over at them occasionally when their boy made a couple of 10-bell saves off of Zach Hyman and stopped this rocket from... He made a few pretty good stops in this game. He still got beaten four times. These Oilers consistently produce very dangerous shots. Uh, they do. What's your bad thing? Yeah, I'm going to uh, uh, double out, not single out. I'm going to double out two players for taking what I consider to be um, uh, bad penalties. Uh, late in the third period, the Oilers are ahead 4-1. Cast your mind way back to game three of last year's playoffs when the Oilers are ahead 4-1 in the back half of the third period and seemingly cruising to victory. And Josh Archibald takes a penalty that didn't need to be taken. And that was the, the, the very first um, thread unraveling from what had been a really good game to that point. And with, I think, eight or nine minutes left, it was 4-1. And by the time they got to the end of regulation, it was 4-4. And the power play goal that Winnipeg scored really started to come back. Well, tonight it's 4-1 with, what, eight minutes left. And the same thing, they're cruising the victory, looks like. And first, Warren Fogle uh, skates right through the blue paint and hits Connor Ingram and knocks him down and takes a goalie interference penalty. And the goalie kind of, like, I think he thought he was skating past the goalie and the goalie maybe moved a little bit, but you can't go skating through the blue paint hitting the goalie. you got to avoid him or you got to avoid the blue paint. He did neither, wound up in the sin bin. And to me, worse, because they're already down a man, and they're killing that penalty, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'd rather Nashville score it on the power play. The worst thing that could possibly happen here is Edmonton takes another penalty. Now they're two men short. They score five on three, and they got a minute and a half with a five on four, and it's 4-2, and there's still six or seven minutes on the clock, and all of a sudden we're sitting back in our seats again, you know. And uh, Derek Ryan who's uh, got a good reputation and a deserved one for being a smart player, but this was not a smart play in the neutral zone. Uh, and he, he uh, I, I haven't 
fully examined the replay yet. Uh, I think you saw it on the big board, but uh, he he just kind of grabbed the guy going through the neutral zone. I saw him, thought that's a penalty, and sure enough, the arm went up. There was 13 seconds left, uh, so luckily not long. But again, if Nashville wins a faceoff, which they did, and scores in that 13 seconds, now it's 4-2. They got a full power play to go, and all of a sudden, you you know. <laughs> changes the outlook of the game. You just can't be doing that. Both penalties were on, on the far side of center. It's not like they were defending them to their own net. And, you know, that's just sloppy. And it's a detail that I, I can guarantee you Dave Tippett will be talking about that, whether he's singling out those players or whether he's just talking to the team as a whole. We can't be doing that. It hurt us bad in the playoffs last year. We can't be doing that kind of stuff. And that's... Uh, so that's my bad thing. I agree with those bad things. My bad thing, Bruce. Uh, Cody Cece had a, a rough game. We, I tagged him. You haven't gone over my uh, work yet on the scoring chance document, but I, my initial, you. my initial survey was that uh, he made f- four major mistakes on grade A chance, grade A shots against, mm-hmm. and two of them came on his first shift. There, there was the blown pinch on a two-on-one chance which Koskinen saved. And then actually, I and I could have brought this up with in the Koskinen comment, another really great save 30 seconds later, um, Duncan Keith got beat on a pass out behind the net and Drysaddle was kind of um, out of position in the slot to allow, he allowed the pass out too. But CeCe had been slow covering, like it was one of those plays that came around the boards and then behind the net and then out front. CeCe had been on the man, on the boards, but he, he got beat to the net by the man, and he, that man got the shot, a really dangerous shot as well. So right early in the game, he makes two really crucial mistakes uh, that could have resulted in goals against. And then, just, uh, you know, the, the orders get the um, power play, great power play goal with, you know, uh, McDavid to Nuge to Drysaddle, all three of them doing their special thing. And, uh, but just 10 seconds later, uh, just off the faceoff, CC makes a pass to Cassian, and Cassian, he's just a statue out there. He doesn't move to the pass, and it kind of bounces and deflects off him, and he kind of turns it over in the neutral zone. And then CC, unfortunately, had also stepped up in that moment. And I actually think Cassian was more to blame, but he CC did cause the two-on-one. So there's a two-on-one, and and a, who was it? Was it Duchesne? Yeah, Duchesne, Duchesne went in and went Rock in and just picked, great shot. Just picked it and uh, scored on Koskinen. So it wasn't Cody Cece's best night. He's he's been mm-hmm. pretty solid, but um, you know every every defenseman's going to eat it. <laughs> it's going to eat a game now and then. It happens, and they just have to snap out of it and and get it together again. He's been pretty solid this year, but this was not his night. Your number. Yeah, oh, well, I'm I'm kind of betwixt and between. I'm tempted to say nine games. Uh, in a row, the Oilers scored in the power play to open the season. The last time they did that in 86-87 was the last time they won the division championship. So maybe that's a good omen. But I, I'm going to give a shout-out to a guy who takes a lot of crap and doesn't have many nights like this, so he deserves a little shout-out, Devin Shore. And Devin Shore tonight wound up playing uh, 11 and a half minutes about a minute on the penalty kill and, and ten and a half at even strength. And he got promoted during the game from the fourth to the third line between uh, uh, Fogel and Cassian. And it seemed to wake up the line. 
and Shore himself, his numbers, he, okay, he had a goal plus one. He did have a penalty, and it was a little tiny bit of a slew foot, as I saw it, and a good call by the ref. Uh, and uh, But he had uh, uh, one shot on which he scored, uh, but he had two hits, three takeaways to lead the team, uh, one block shot, 60% on the face-off dot, and then we turn to his usual terrible numbers uh, in uh, uh, shot shares, and they're not terrible at all. In fact, they're really good. Tonight he was on for 12 shot attempts by the Edmonton to six against, seven shots four to three against, and of course the key one, one goal four, none against. And the goal made it 4-1, and it kind of took the life out of the Preds. It went from 2-1 to 4-1 in a hurry. And I'd said to you early in the game, you know, we want to get Nashville up to that point where they're thinking, well, we got our two points out of Alberta and Calgary last night, and uh, th- these guys have got us tonight. Let's move on. And they never, they did quit because there's not many NHL teams that actually quit. But when it went from 2-1 to 4-1, the writing was on the wall. And Shore's goal, it was a deserved goal. It was a decent shot and, and a good play. And I thought he had a really strong game, frankly. He did, and I suspect he'll be back on the the third line as a third line center next game. Uh, he earned it. He had a good. He he played well. Um, it was very no, very noticeable, wasn't he? Like he, he was he all was, around the puck. He's got some skill, and every once in a while he flashes it, and uh, he did on that goal. Nice shot. My number, Bruce, is twenty nine percent, which is Leon Drysaddle's shooting percentage right now. Um. So. You know, one of the first, in, in terms of the modern hockey analytics movements, one of the, I think one of the real um, things that that they that group of people impressed on people was you have to look out for players with high shooting percentages. You know, how repeatable is it? How long are they going to keep doing it? Mm-hmm. It's a very good point because yeah. if you're if you're giving a a, a player a big contract off a, a hot shooting season, where he's yeah. he's had a higher shooting percentage than ever before and more goals than ever before. You're looking for trouble. You're asking for trouble. That is, that was an excellent point that they made. It was a big contribution to hockey thinking. The interesting thing is, Bruce, there are some players who can consistently get high shooting percentages. Now, Leon Dreisaitl is not going to shoot at 29% this year. He's going to drop. But he did have a full season where he shot in the 20s before. He had a 21.6 shooting percentage in 2018-19 when he scored 50 goals. Mm-hmm. He followed that up with a 19.7 shooting percentage. Last year, he was 18.5. So this is, is the league average around 11? This That's is way... 20% over three years, basically. That would yeah. work out to a 20% average. And what's the league average? Is it about 11%, 10%? Well, if, 8%? Against goalies, it's about 9%. I mean, goalies run around 9, 10. You I mean, you have the empty netters. And certainly forwards have a higher shooting higher percentage for forwards, than, right. than defensemen do. So I think maybe 11 for forwards in that range. Yeah. But it's not 29. And it's not 20 either. I mean, you want to talk about shooting percentage. Jari Curry shot 25% four years in a row and 25 or more. 25% is like otherworldly and you see it and you think, well, that's not going to happen again. Well, oh, yes, it is. If you're Yari Curry, he had seven years in a row over 20%. So different era, of course. And I mean, nowadays, uh, 25% in Yari Curry's era was 20% in today's. But uh, uh, we have an elite sniper. I mean, all of Drysaddle's shots seem to be dangerous ones. Uh, some of I them think- go in. 
<laughs> I think I worked it out last year. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I'm just looking for them. Oh, the one-timers? The one-timers. I think he, oh. he, he drains about 35% one and three. of his one. One and three it was, is my recollection. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. good. As long as he gets lots of one-timers, he's going to have a high shooting percentage. And he's getting more one-timers than ever because the power play is so deadly in so many other ways that they can't they can't focus on just that deadly thing on Leon. They can't put all the eggs in that basket because the Oilers are going to score so many other ways. Ray Ferraro said something. He, he said he was watching the power play of the Oilers in the Vancouver game, and he said he saw panic in the Vancouver players because the Oilers were moving the puck so fast. That was a very good description of probably what's going on in the ice. And this is just, a better power play than the 80s Oilers ever had. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because they were a counterattack team. And, and, and this team, it can be a counterattack team, but it can be a, a, a possession and cycle team. And, you know, just with the, with the pure skill. And the, I, I think the 80s Oilers led the league in power play percentage once. Couple, and, yeah. You know, they, they were, were always very, in the top good. few because they had so many snipers, right? They were always in the top five or so in the league. But this this team is threatening to be three years in a row number one. This is the half-court game. And oh, the, yes. the power play that they're most like is the, the, the great Islanders power play, which I think is, until now, the greatest power play in NHL history. I mean, we don't have the statistics, actually, for the for the power play percentages from the earlier years. Maybe someone right. does. I don't know if anyone's worked well, it out. They but go back to the early 60s, I think, 63 or something. Uh, really, on, on, on NHL.com, it's just till 77, 78, I think. Oh, okay. Did you yeah, get power heard. play percentages? Maybe there's somewhere else, Bruce, or maybe on Quant Hockey or something. But the Islanders' power play was at this kind of half-court offense as well. You know, just just absolutely brutally efficient. And with so many weapons, you know, with Mike Bossy roaming the slot, with um, Stefan Pearson... And Denny Potvin. Potvin was just a devastating shot. And Pearson with a very good shot and a very smart player. And then Clark Gillies in front of the net. And Trottier, um doing this, that, and everything. Making, you know, fantastic passes. This that's the, comparing, that's the comparison that I see in terms of a power play. And uh, But the Oilers are going to... They're going to be setting some records this year on the power play. It is astonishing. Like we are, we are so lucky as fans, as Oiler fans, to get to watch this, mm-hmm. to have our team being this team. In the Harlem Globetrotters. It's it makes up for the decade of darkness, Bruce. It 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 does. It's coming together in this moment where we're seeing something that hasn't. We haven't. We kind of we've seen it once before with the Islanders' power play. Maybe there were some 50s power plays with the Habs, perhaps, and the Red Wings and other teams like that. But we haven't seen this in a long time in the NHL. And it is fantastic to watch. People who go to the Oilers games uh, at Rogers Place, they, they are in for such a... They, it's such a treat to watch that kind of execution. Mm-hmm. And uh, so enjoyable. Yeah, yeah it's... it's uh... It's a joy to watch. They have the puck on a string, and there's just so much skill. It's so they're so great on the on the uh, uh, puck recovery yeah. side. Like a chance goes awry, and the puck goes into the corner, and two orders streak toward it. Puck might be bouncing around. Somebody bats it down with their stick and chips it around the board, and they might have to chip it back around the boards a couple of times, and eventually 
comes all the way around the other point and there. Lo and behold, there's Tyson Berry and he moves into the center of the ice and he's got a guy on each side and one guy coming out and it can't cover both of them. And, you know, and away they go again. Yeah. <laughs> it's just phenomenal. I mean, I like Chase on and Neil in front of the net. I really mm-hmm. like Chase on, but mm-hmm. Pulley Arvey and Hyman are better at puck t- retrieval, significantly better than those two guys. He, he, those two guys good at puck retrieval, tech- but they didn't have the stick those guys have. Like, yeah. So, yeah, he was technically really good in front of the net. It's just so mm-hmm. solid at screening the goalie and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, this is ad- an added element as Hyman and Pulley Arvey's um, good sticks popping those pucks and it's it, it it must it must be so brutal covering that being out there against them and totally willing to sell out to get the puck back they, yeah they'll crash the boards hard <clears throat> in that puck battle to to uh just try and recover and, and re- recommence the cycle without having to chase it down 200 feet we really noticed that tonight with pulley Arvey's game just the physical aspect oh. of it like he's taking a lot of punishment but man he's he's into it <laughs> he's He's doing it. Like if the owners wanted him to become a physical player, they got their wish because he's involved in constant battles all over the place, all over the ice. And he's, he's up for it. So. Alrighty. So Friday night, next game, Kevin Lowe night. It's the Kevin yep. Lowe. Game 10. Tiring Kevin Lowe's uh, sweater. Yeah, they're doing it early before the pregame warmup. So uh, people interested in watching it's on something like five thirty through seven o'clock. Then they cool. then they break away for the pregame warm up and then at seven thirty the game starts. So uh, if you're expecting it to be in the beginning of the broadcast, no, it'll be earlier than that. If you're keen on seeing it, and uh, he will be, uh, I've already got my number for Friday night's podcast. Let's put it that way. Yeah, Let's I don't know if Kevin Lowe watches this podcast mm-hmm. we know some people in oilers uh, you know we've associated with the oilers watch this podcast but i don't know if kevin lowe does and but if he does like congratulations kevin lowe you're such a fantastic hockey player and a great edmontonian so um well deserved way to go yeah i agree he was a he was a real key core piece to this team that a lot a lot of younger fans that just sort of read about the team after the fact and you know and his stats are different from snipers but boy did he fill some important roles on that team he did he did all right bruce thanks for talking tonight yeah thanks for listening everyone and in the meantime and in between times this has been another edition of the cult of hockey podcast